Please note, this episode contains some strong language. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. I've heard them before. I do swear a lot. That's what I'm worried about. Okay. Yeah. Not to be offended. No, I know if they do touch stuff, them, you know, it's just a word. It's just my grandpa used to always say, he's a big broad Doric guy. Okay. And he would always say, "Don't worry about swearing a day all the fucking time." <laughs> and I loved that. I mean, I love my grandpa, but like, I loved the fact that he was so. Um, yeah, he just didn't give a shit. It was great. I love that. It is. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and you know, this is great. Was it see last year? I did this uh, wonderful reading on Zoom. Right, obviously the way things have changed, and so most things are then put online. Mm-hmm. So it was two days with the playwright studio, and it was like six, seven plays. And the first play there was, for instance, about eight actors. Right, so there's about eight faces pop up the screen. And you're doing the script. All of them are brilliant. The best script out of all of them. And I was going, why am I here? Like I was kind of scratching my head, going, why have I been chosen to do these plays? And the last day, the last play that we read was a three-man play, I say three-man, so it's one woman, two guys. And I read it the night before, and it was the most one of the most beautiful scripts I've ever written, heard in my yeah. life. And the reason they picked me is because I, I do Doric, right? From my grandpa and my grandma and my mum's side of the family. And <laughs> this play was written by this 27-year-old. Which I, now, it's not young, but I was going... I mean, the, the density, the the, the the beautiful emotion, the intellectual stuff that was coming off the script was just stunning, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to basically play my grandpa. So this this character, is an, I mean, I'm too young to play it, but it was maybe something in their 70s, who's yeah. just lost her life to Alzheimer's, which I understood because I've had that in my family. Mm-hmm. And it was in Doric. And, I was, and this girl, she lived in Aberdeen, but she certainly wasn't of that kind of ilk out in the country. And I just thought it was, honestly, there was three, the three of us, the three actors in it, were all completely stunned by how good the script was. And I felt and it felt so good because then I did a reading last year, last October, mm-hmm. and in walks this young fella who I did the reading with on Zoom. And we connected purely on that basis. Chris, how are you doing, Angus? I was like, because we did this great, beautiful little reading. I mean, his monologue was, it was three monologues okay. back to back. Yeah. And maybe it was a development in terms of the Zoom was just to talk about how they could maybe you know, create more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was so powerful and it was so beautiful. And this grandpa is just basically talking about his granddaughter and how he's wanting to teach him the Muthi. Yeah. And I just, I just loved it. But it was like, I had my grandpa in my head the whole time I was doing this reading. Aww. It was beautiful. I mean, I was getting quite teared up and we switched all our cameras off and I could hear everybody kind of choking up and all for all three monologues. And it was just beautifully held and I thought, this is fucking magic I would love to do this play you know it was like proper meeting the bone and, and because you're playing something that's actually so natural to you that was just it was so, I loved it I loved it your face just loud I know I know that. it's great it. uh, I'm so glad you're here no thank you Chris Alexander yes you're an absolute gem let me just kick this off by saying the bra and the brave wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for folk like you because you have literally just championed 
Mm. What I'm trying to do with this from like day dot, and it's like just so massively appreciated. And the fact that you're here and you're on the run, the brave, yeah, I know. it just seems like feels separate. Totally yeah, feel, it's serendipitous. It's uh-huh. like, it's, yeah, that's how I feel about it, and I'm so glad to be here. And I've always just say, dear listener, please be aware that there's some verbal diarrhea about to come out of my mouth. I apologise profusely in advance, but um, yeah, I do. I love it. I love the I love the podcast and. I said to you before we start, I'm going to say this live to the public, but you said to me 51,000 people listen to this podcast, and if you take that visually, that's Hamden Park, so that's like this little setup in the middle of the pitch with 51,000 people listening and staring and going, what have you got to say for yourself, big man? <laughs> but it's great, you know, it's like, and you've grown this, this was like a project for you, and it's yeah. become such a great thing. Well, what a joy it is, do you know what I mean? And I'm so glad that you're here in person, you're actually my first person in person for like over a year, I think. Yeah, which is magic. For sure. And you know, as much as it's been like lovely to keep it going online, there is something about being in the room. Mm-hmm. And as an actor, and as a celebrant, mm-hmm. being in the room is everything. Is everything. Yeah. So, <clears throat> can you remember growing up as a young person, young person in the world, uh-huh. kind of figuring out who you are, like, when were you in the room where there was something, somebody was telling a story or you were watching a play, like, can you remember being in the room thinking, that's brilliant? Yeah. Do you know what, well, so, so I grew up in the south side of Glasgow and my first performance was, I was probably about eight years of age and I did a panto at Langside Halls, which I'm still really passionate about, I love, they actually closed it, yeah, it's magic. And they've closed that venue down right now. I don't actually, it's, it's, with held with the local people, I think they're sort of trying to buy it over. Okay. Anyway, I remember doing Aladdin. I was probably about eight years of age, and I did. I was a villager and a ghostbuster. And um, yeah, <laughs> I know exactly. This random <laughs> ghostbuster set. Um, but so it ended with eighties then. Yeah, yeah. It was eighty-eight. I mean, I was I was born seventy-nine, and uh, you can edit that out. Um, but. He looks he looks great. See, I've started doing that thing where I age up. I tell people I'm older than I am, so they go, You look brilliant, mate. So you go, What age you got? I'm forty eight and they go, You're forty eight, you look great. And I know. You get the compliment wherever you go, it's like um, but yeah, I remember being like really so you know, as a young boy I was taken to these drama classes really to try and sort of help my confidence actually. My mum and dad okay. these, and did this wee panto at Langside Halls and I remember looking at the dame that was a female actually and just been totally blown away. And now whenever I hear the Carpenters uh, on top of the world, that yes. was the song she sung for her kind of dame moment, the, sort of, the, the, the singing yeah, dame. Yeah. And just being totally captured. Because before that, I think I probably wanted to be like a bus driver. I remember being totally heavily influenced by Indiana Jones and I wanted to be an archaeologist and run about with yes. a cowboy hat and a whip and all the rest of it. And then that probably was the moment. And then primary six had a great teacher, Mrs White. I also think that's pretty funny that she was called Mrs White. Um, and she, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like school. I didn't, I sort of, yeah, I struggled. I still do academically. I get the total fear. I'm very intelligent, but you know, yeah. academically, I'm like, oh, oh. And every Friday, me and this wee guy called Ewan, who both kind of struggled in school at that time, she let us go to the library and pick a play. So every Friday afternoon, the last thing we did as a class in primary six was read a play together, oh. which I thought was totally off curriculum. Love that. And I, yeah, and I thought you're oh, exactly. What a woman! Like I just, yeah, I loved that, and so became very aware of you know you got to write to people in primary six as well. I remember that we could mm-hmm. choose to write, so people write to like Elton John and Princess Diana, and I wrote to Ricky Fulton, and I've got the, I don't have the letter with me, but I do have the letter in a folder in my, my flat, and it's I mean, it's questions like what's your favourite meal, 
what do you like playing with your wife, you know, and what kind of car do you drive, etc. etc. It's, it's headed by the Scotch and Rye animation, if you remember that. The sort of cartoon at the start of Scotch and Rye. And um, yeah, so I wrote to him, and then I was like, I wanted to be a comedian, mm-hmm. which I did for a wee while, actually, I did do a stand up. So you'd seen him on the telly? Oh, yeah, and that was, yeah, so three generations of my family sat around watching Scotch and Rye every new year, and I loved that he made all of us laugh. Mm. What a gift! You know, extraordinary guy and extraordinary performer, I have to say. I mean, I loved Ricky Fulton. He was the first inspiration. He was the first inspiration watching television at New Year with my grandpa, my grandma, my mum and dad, my uncle, you know, my sister. And all of us, for three generations of a family, watching this guy, all these sketches, and just laughing. And just absolute joy. And all the people together. And that's the thing about, you know, Panto, is that it does the same trick. You know, that's why people love it, because generations of families maybe only come together for the only time in the year yeah. and sit and watch people, well, and certainly my, making an arse of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such, like, you're, you're a total wizard if you can make people feel something, like, yeah. you know, if you can make them laugh, you can make them cry, do you yeah. know what I mean? So, and I think it's like that aspect of you can't even be it unless you see it. So when you see a Scottish person in the telly, yeah. like him, growing uh-huh. up, that can be so influential because you're like... It's I everything. Can't be like, it's yeah. a Scottish person. Yeah. Sounds like he, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's telling stories that uh-huh. are familiar to me. Uh-huh. Then all of a sudden it's like that, that's a way in. Yeah, it's a possibility. Uh-huh. It's it's so that's why theatre's so beautiful as well. Mm. People, young kids going to see their first first show. Uh-huh. A lot of the stuff I've done has been for sort of young people. And that's the first time they might have seen anything on stage and they're sitting there and they're going, What is this? Yeah. The colour, the magic, the words, the the, 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 the tricks that they pull, the songs, whatever you want to do. And so you're introducing people to theatre, they learn it to be an audience, then they learn that they possibly, I want to do this as a job. It is, and it's because it it's, it's your own accent, on stage, on film, mm-hmm. whatever that is, and you go, that could be me. So you were saying, like, you struggled academically, uh-huh. you were saying, like, your parents sent you to that class yeah. to like, boost your confidence. Definitely, yeah. So obviously it worked. Yeah. Uh-huh. And was there a defining moment where you got, you know, get to that age in high school, with it like, would you want to be when you grew up? Uh-huh. You were like, I want to be an actor. Yeah, I, and so my high school, I was lucky because my high school did have a drama department. Okay. And my high school teacher, drama teacher, Championed me, mm. you know. So it's like third. I mean, I knew I wanted to be an actor, but at that point I was going, I don't just want to make people laugh, I'd quite like to make them cry, not in life, but in, on stage. <laughs> um, but and so, yeah, I did um, modules, I did standard grade, and then we, the, the year I was leaving school, which they were trying to boot me out basically, they, they put the hires on, they put the high that, that school got higher. So I then stayed to do, I mean, I've got that in modern studies and that's it in terms of, I don't give a shit, I don't need okay. tiles, exactly, yeah, exactly. I, can, I can talk, I can debate, and I can, I can say a few words on stage, that's all I need, exactly, what do you want for me? But, um, so he, he was, it was two drama teachers, Mr Oxton and Mr Easton, and they were really great because I think they recognised that I could make a go of this. And they told my mum and dad, now my mum and dad, beautiful people, who, my dad was a mechanic, my mum was a nurse, really strived and struggled to make, you know, a life for me and my sister, etc., but they, both the jobs that they ultimately didn't really enjoy. My dad, very clever guy. He could have done anything he wanted with his life. And he, he certainly loved cars, mm-hmm. but he knows that he could have done more mm-hmm. as a job. So when I said I wanted to be an actor, and then it was doubled up with then, you know, this formal teacher saying, look, he's got something, you know, he could definitely do something like this. You should champion him and do it. And they just went, go for it. You know, live your life, do what you want to do. It's a short life, etc., etc. all these sort of things. So I was really grateful that I had those people in my life at the... Moments I probably needed it yeah, because confidence-wise, like you know, because I've had so many people on this podcast saying a teacher said, "Oh, like well, maybe you should have a backup plan," and you're like, you know, your words are yeah. so powerful when your your audience is like at that age where you're 
Yeah, I'm going to be influenced by a teacher, yep. by somebody in power. You know, an adult grows yeah. up to being an adult in the room. So it's great that those teachers were like, you can do that. Yeah, because, because funny enough, the guidance teacher at the time couldn't stand me and she was desperate to get rid of like, me and a few others out of the school okay. bring, bringing down the marks you know <laughs> that's t- but because that's all that's important yeah exactly but it was for them it's like you go look nobody asks you what, you what do you want to do Literally what do you want you. you're good at this let me help you get there that's he was like no no you should go and do something else go and drive a bus or something like fuck off what do you know you don't even know me you turn up once a week you have this little chat about careers advice and it's not advice I mean I, I'm like if you want to be an actor fucking do it do it like give it a go give it everything you've got no regret and at least you've tried it yeah. and and it might work out and if it doesn't well you've, you've, you've given it a good go mm-hmm. and that's important And um, but yeah I was lucky that those drama teachers then I went straight into college first year at college in 1997 Langside I fucked yeah sorry to swear <laughs> I fucking loved it I loved it it was like one of the most beautiful years of my life I was 17 I'd just left school I was in a class with predominantly people my age, but then people like 40, 45, 50, 60 students who'd done a job. He was a retired doctor in third year. He'd been a doctor, he retired. Wow. He was wanting to become an actor in like 60 years of age. I think this is great. Yeah, and you know, hanging out, growing up, going to the student union, getting pissed as a fart, really growing and growing. And these people are still really dear friends. I'm lucky that I've got oh, friends cute. from when I was a wee boy and I've got all my college pals and obviously the people I've met through my career, etc. But... I mean, I loved, first year was great, and then second year was a bit of a, hmm, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Third year I was ready to go. Okay. Um, and in ready- terms of like, the works that you were getting to do while you were there and the experimenting and the, you know, like, were you starting to, because obviously initially you were like, I want to make people laugh, and then I realised I want to make people cry. Uh-huh. On that course, are you figuring out what kind of actor you are? Definitely. That's a great mm-hmm. question, and it was actually I can tell you the moment that changed. Okay. So, th- first year at college, I was, yeah, I was a bit of the kind of, you no, know, there was a few class clowns, but certainly one of the ones that were funnier, you know, more known for comedic acting, if you like. And then we did this devised piece at the end of first year, which is actually based on, a, on an event that actually happened, the Aber Van disaster, which was in Wales. Okay. If I remember rightly, it was like 19, I want to say 1966. It was around that time, mm-hmm. and this slurry fell from a hill and, you know, crushed a school. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible right. tale, right? Mm-hmm. Tragic, and these kids died, adults died. Mm-hmm. This small little village in Wales, but we decided. Well, not this guest director came in and decided to devise this play around this story, and that's when it all changed for me. So I was given the part of the granddad of one of the the families, mm-hmm. this guy called Stanley Minute. These are real people. Mm-hmm. That was a bit, you know, you had to really sort of question yourself. So mm-hmm. A couple of people didn't want to participate in that that okay. place because they didn't feel comfortable playing real people, and mm-hmm. and I totally understand that. But for me, it was telling the story. Yes. So I remember actually, so they, they gave me this monologue to do. And I remember walking on stage absolutely crapping myself because I hadn't really done, I mean, we'd done monologues and duologues throughout the year that were quite serious and, you know, delving into emotions, etc. But I wasn't known for it. But this monologue was a gift. Mm-hmm. And I walked on stage and your second year students, your third year students, so your peers, and you do feel pressure from it, and then obviously the public are coming to see this as well, mm-hmm. and I stood up and I delivered this monologue, and people were really moved by it, and I went, I love this, I love it, this is like, I can move people to, to laughter or tears, and to do both, and that's what acting is, mm-hmm. you know, it's delivering truth, honesty, and um, and then, as I say, I realised then at the end of first year, I was like, yeah, I want to make a great go of this, yeah. you know, in terms of all, I'll do anything yeah, that comes yeah. my way. And then I happened to, when I went into second year, I was, we did Animal Farm, which is obviously very resonant right now with everything that's going on. 
and powerfully again just a great piece of you know text yeah. um, great story great book and I, I got the part of Squealer and again that was a lot of big you know huge big bits of text mm-hmm. and um, but my confidence was really growing in terms of becoming more than just somebody that could actually make people laugh yeah. which I was entirely comfortable with yeah. but I was like I can actually yeah, this is something that can because I'm sure that's probably like a gift in that sense that, you know, to embrace... There's one thing being like, you know, it's like a master of... Jack of all trades, master and of all trades. Yeah. But then apparently that phrase is longer than oh, right. what everybody says. So right. it's like, Jack of all trades, master of none, but it's better to be... Some of it, it's better to do them all than none. Uh-huh. You know, and it's like, well, at least if you're embracing as much... You know, you're like, I'll take anything... That's it's allowing meeting people that allow you to come out your lane from time to time. Yes. That's the thing, it's like people will box you, they'll define you by you as a person sometimes, which mm-hmm. is horrible these wee judgy budgies and then you've got people who then do it um, as directors as producers who think but actors are versatile you know we'll do anything it's been given the opportunity to go on that stage and deliver that text and that doesn't happen very often unless you're really bloody lucky you know I mean I've I have had a great career there's no doubt I've been consistently working I've had moments of my life that have been gifted by my job Mm -hmm. which feels extraordinary and I mean for me I mean, look, every actor is like, well, look, every every job you do is a dance. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to find your dancing partner. Now, that might be an intimate waltz, or it might be the flipping dashing white sergeant mm-hmm. with a cast of six people, but you're yeah. trying to deliver honesty, joy, truth on those moments on stage, and comfortableness and connection with whoever it is that's on stage with you. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing to have in your life, and that it's a job, and that you're, you, you enjoy it more often than not. Sometimes I don't always enjoy it. It's, yeah, it has its yeah, frustrations. But... It's just a great thing to be able to sort of, yeah, to say that you do with your life. I give human emotion to people. And sometimes they laugh, sometimes they cry, sometimes they do both, and sometimes they boo. But they're supposed to because you did it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) That guy was bloody awful. Who was he? Oh, terrible. But, um, yeah, I just, that's a dancing partner. I do, but. Twenty-two years 22 this year. Years. I know it's you unbelievable. Still love your job. Yeah. That. I, mean, that's good going. I mean, it is. It's great. I mean, some of the projects you do, you know, and it's not even the bigger things. It's some of the smaller stuff that allow you to delve, get a bit more meat in the bone. Uh-huh. You know, get those performance flipping junk. I call it. You know, feed that vein again, and you go. This is why I'm doing it because not every job is going to give you soul medicine. It's not all going to give you great experiences. Or, um, I mean, I've I've been some far off places I mean look years ago I was doing a, you know two shows sort of back to back really and they were both very different one was a, a sort of kids show mm-hmm. but I called it Pixar Theatre because adults would come and watch this and completely love it and cry sometimes it was really it was it's a beautiful mm-hmm. show and then I was also doing this other show which was in the opposite end of the scale very very dark delved into some really horrible um, places for Performers and for an audience to mm-hmm. watch it. it was it was raw it was horrific to watch it was um, it was a rape scene that I had to do wow. and it was powerful it was it was always choreographed very tightly yeah. but um, it, the way it was done was such a sort of shock that people genuinely like the Q and A's after it people just absolutely hated me but they always liked the character that started but the point was that I remember so this is years ago now and 
this is the gift of what a moment. So I, I, had a, I had a breakup with a, a relationship and I was doing the kids' show. I was on tour, I was in Europe mm-hmm. and I was in France. I then came back. The, the show finished on the 14th of April. So I was coming over from like uh, Luxembourg to you know Paris, whatever it was, and then coming back to Scotland. And, and this was before actually my agent had phoned me previous to that when I was on tour saying, look, this other show is going out. It's going to New York and it goes on the 17th of April. So I was back in Scotland on like the 15th of April and then I was packing my rucksack and going off wow. to New York. I know. And I was off, yeah, off Broadway doing this beautifully dark, I mean, it's such a precious show to me. It's called Butterfly and it's still probably retains as one of my all-time favourite gigs. I loved it. It was, it was non-verbal. It was all movement, but you would have loved it. I mean, it was all... You know, Charlie Chaplin, so not in terms of that's the comedic sense, but the pathos, the danger, the, the rawness of this, the movement, storytelling through your body. And I couldn't believe my bloody luck. I'm like, I've literally landed in Glasgow, I'm packing my rucksack, I'm now going to be in New York for a month and a half doing this great play. I mean, people come to see this show that I'd seen in the telly. I, I, I was a big fan of Lost, and all these actors from like Lost were sitting watching the show, and I was like, I can't, this is surreal. Wow. And you're and you're good guy from Glasgow sitting in New York. What well, I mean, I've been to New York a couple of times before, but just purely yeah. as a tourist, just taking it all into it and yeah. doing it. Let's go to the Statue of Liberty. Let's try and keep going. Chase, chase you. Because you're just actually sitting in a city that you're almost feeling like you're living in, yes. watching people go by, people watching every day. I mean, I did the marathon. Have you ever seen the Marathon Man, Dustin Hoffman? Uh-huh. So the flat they hired for us, this this company, was literally a, a ball here away for, for Central Park. And I, so I'd, I'd come out of the flat every day, every second day, and I would run around Central Park pretending to be Dustin Hoffman. I would do that run, you know, I didn't have the hoodie, but I was like, I'm living the dream, man, this is, this is incredible, you know? But pinching myself going, how lucky that those dates happen to coincide, that luck never happens. And it, the fact that I'd had this kind of quite horrible experience before, you know, I'd lost a you know, partner, I'd broken up, etc. Uh, but it, I was like, would that have happened then? Would I have been able to do the job? Probably not. Yeah. So it was like... That serendipity, and I mean, I've got moments of this all through my life, which powerfully deliver to me that you know I'm where I'm meant to be, yeah. and that's what kind of gives me heart in any situation in life. That, and that's a it's a great thing to have. It doesn't always work, you know. Life's full of punctures, and you know you have to sort of raid those moments out and try and get through them to try and find that next bubble of joy and stretch it out. But but it seems to me that you do thrive on that, like. The unexpectedness uh-huh. of it, you know, some people would be like, you know, the freelance life, whatever job that you do, it's just like, you know, the unknown is too scary. Yeah. Because it seems to me that you're like that, that you you won't be able to predict no. all of the time, and yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, it has been. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I've been used to. I think my life, I've yeah, so travelled. Twenty-two years. Yeah. Long and a lot of these jobs have just come, and you do get into that kind of. You know, don't get me wrong. Listen, we all like comfort. We all want stability yeah. to some degree. You know partner or not, whatever, or, you know, whatever part of your life you want to sort of stabilise. And certainly at one point in my life, I was starting to go, I mean, I was never in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And that was becoming a bit of an issue. Okay. So it was like, you know, people are actually, pals are texting me going, are you in the country? <laughs> and that's when you go, right, I maybe need to sort of hem this in a little bit. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would do jobs abroad and then I would come back, pack my rucksack, because uh, I'd time, but also it's just using my time. Yeah. How else am I going to sit in my flat and do bugger all and watch crap telly or am I going to pack my rucksack and just take a cheap flight and that's what we'd always do mm-hmm. so I have become quite used to packing up and going but there was a stage in my life where I was going to need to sort of bring this in a little bit to try and stabilise my life a little bit and that's and that's where I'm at now I suppose mm-hmm. you know but um, no I've been lucky that, and I, I'm totally comfortable with the idea of 
I mean, if you offer, at one point, I would have probably said no to any job abroad. Now I'd be like, right, let's go because well, you're dying to just take it away. I know. I just want to get out my local park. Oh my god! You're in I know. This is I know. Glory, glory. I've been wanting to come here for years. But, you know, I'm just wondering, like, so that that aspect of not knowing what job's coming next, you, you mentioned earlier on you've got an agent, is that uh-huh. is that a must-have for any no. actor, do you think? No, no, no. I, I didn't have an agent for about four years. I was okay. self-represented, if you like, whatever the word I'm looking for. It definitely helps. Mm-hmm. And it's a leg up into jobs that you would never otherwise hear of. I mean, a lot of television, I don't know if necessarily casting directors would go to you directly some of them would if you've got a relationship with mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. and I've heard of actors been out of jobs for years and then they're suddenly you know, the casting director goes ah you know such and such I'll bring them in for this job and they get the gig And yeah. but I mean I've got a great agent um, she's Claire she's great she's a wonderful person mm-hmm. and I trust her implicitly I really do and it's not to showboat her as a, you know, I, just, I just genuinely mean that I just think she's been well, a great help you need to I would imagine do you yep. know what I mean because they're representing you yep. and you're doing such a great job of trying to be authentically you and go after the things you want to so then if somebody then steps into that role of like they're representing you you want to trust them that they're going to have your best interests at heart yep. and they're going to find the jobs that they know will make your soul sing exactly exactly yeah that's it and, yeah. and also like, clear I remember you know, I think every actor goes through it, they'd probably be lying if they didn't, which is that, you know, you really struggle. Is this really worth it, the sacrifices I'm making? Am I really, what am I getting out of this? And I remember, I was a real torn in my life at some points, and I remember Claire sending me an email one day going, and it was after those two jobs, because she phoned me about that New York trip, mm-hmm. etc., on the basis of being after the, the, the European trip with the other show. And I was very emotional, because I was sort of saying, oh, you know, she knew I'd had a breakup, etc., and I remember, you know, sometime after that, she wrote me an email just going, don't you fucking give up, essentially. No, not yeah. using that word, but yeah. don't give up. Just keep ploughing on, you know, because we go through dry spots. We're scrambling about trying to justify our, our, our existence sometimes, Absolutely. you know. Why am I doing this? You know, is my job all I've got? And it's not, but she's great and she's, she's a great agent, you know, mm-hmm. but she's also just a wonderful person, you know. I'm really lucky and... Yeah, I think... But you don't necessarily need to have an agent. I don't mm-hmm. think it's absolutely... You know, if you make... You know, you could have one job and that could so-called launch you and then the next thing people come and see it and they, they offer you work on the basis of that of work. So yeah. that's absolute luck. But um, but no, I don't think it's necessary. I, I would say people that are unrepresented, you, you go for it anyway mm. because you might find representat- representation further down the line anyway. Who knows? Yeah, unless you're in that world, you don't necessarily know that that's how it works for some people. That, uh, you know, they've got somebody representing them. But just when you were talking there about... Um, you know, that, that aspect of you, you're a real person, you have a real life going on. And it's like anybody in any job. You almost have to park your real life yeah. when you're doing your job. Folk need to turn up at the office and kid on the <laughs> kicking off at home or whatever. Uh, you know, breakups, people die, yeah, people okay. go well, all the rest of it. But I, I, I always think, like, for actors especially, because you're drawing on your personal experience oh, yeah. and you're understanding the world and you're trying to get in the character's head. So you will be drawn on experiences that you've had personally but to the end stage. How do you... Walk that line. I know, isn't it? That's a great question. It's like sometimes, it's like I've got a great memory. You do, because you've said so many people's names. I know, but I mean, yeah, I've got a great memory, which is a wonderful gift as an actor, mm-hmm. but an absolute curse as a person. I mean, intimate yes. moments with people that you remember and sort of haunt you, etc. To some degree, jobs-wise or personal-wise. But you do draw. I think that's the thing: is that accepting punctures will happen in life and utilising it, mm-hmm. you know, making it um, have 
not letting it be in vain. And that's of a personal nature and then try to utilise it on a professional basis. So tapping into things that maybe you don't necessarily always want to tap into, but it might help you with something that you're maybe doing during a scene or during, you know, the whole play. Mm. I mean, I had a, a pal that lost his father and I was doing a Burns gig with him and he, he did it. You know, he went on and did this Burns okay. gig with me and, you know, I just thought that was incredibly brave because the emotions going through somebody... I mean, I've not yet experienced that. I mean, I've... I've had personal things that have gone on in my life, mm-hmm. and then, but nobody's, uh, I mean, I've bought, got both my parents still, uh, but I am kind of, that as I'm getting older, I start to become more aware of that, is, you know, when is this going to occur, and how am I going to cope with it? Mm-hmm. But I think every actor, every performer, poet, musician, takes their, demons is too strong a word, but things that they've experienced in life, and trying to then give that to the world. That's why, yeah. we, you know, when you hear, music that you tap into as a human being and you go, they've experienced what I'm going through, yeah. which is wonderful. I mean, one of the most powerful bits of text I love is a, a Bob Dylan poem called Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. This poem is magnificent for me because it's about, you know, living, striving to live what you're given, what you're getting. And essentially the last line is like, everything comes down to, he says, you're, you're sitting at the Grand Canyon at sundown and everything is good. Yeah, I mean, you do it, you know, you're writing poetry and, and you're giving it out to the world. That's, inc- that's so brave. Artists are brave. We're only here a short while. Mm-hmm. How do I want to utilise it as best I can and make this, as big an impact as I possibly can? Well, writing things, sharing things with the world, it's, it's, a, it's a brave thing to do, you know, to put part of your soul out there. When you walk on stage, you're risking your career every time and your mental health. You know, it's like you go, people could be like, judgy budgies about this guy's fucking terrible. But you do it because you love it. You write poetry, you write a song, you gift that to the world. It's Yeah, that what you get out of it does override any sort of negativity, uh, hopefully yeah, most of the time. Exactly. Do you mean like I I experienced my first kid and it was not a troll, it genuinely wasn't a troll. Uh-huh. There was like a negative comment on my poem that I did for TEDx. Right. And my natural reaction is like, because I need everybody to like me. Uh-huh. So as soon as I seen that, I, you know, I was like, it tainted it. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute here. Like, I don't know that person. They're totally, like, entitled to their opinion. Yeah. Like, they don't need to like it. You know, it's, that's their prerogative. You you enjoy... Did you enjoy doing it? Did you enjoy writing it? Did you enjoy your day when you were there? Yeah. Did you enjoy it in the moment? You met lots of other people. Like, the wins outweigh the... Yeah, you know, they, the yeah nobody can take that away from you. That, no. that arsehole, whoever it was. <laughs> yeah, but that's what they are. It's like, you know, because what... what you're not. Have you done it, mate? Have you but tried it, pal? So and that would rail me <laughs> because like, no, I'm, yeah, but that's well, you're the same. I'm passionate about this country. I'm passionate about our mm-hmm. language, and it's been, you know, slapped down for so long yeah. that I'm like, get it out there. We should be taking hold of this, and we are. It's like you see the sort of uh, generations coming through that are really taking this mm-hmm. language and you're throwing it out into the world. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, all these, you know, bands that I love as well that we, they're utilising. Burns, you know, Burns did it and that's where it all sort of predominantly came from. Yes. And now we're sort of taking hold of it and going, this is us. Ah, and that's good. Yeah, and some some guy, that, women, whoever, who's decided that they don't like something, well, boo sucks to you, mate. You, you try it because you've never done it probably, so. But I guess in like the acting world, though, there is that added element of like reviews and stuff of shows. Like, ah, do, I don't, do you, do you, well, I don't read them, but the thing is what predominantly happens is I've been in the, you know, you're in a sort of dressing room and oh, somebody no. will be like, did you see it? And they'll be like, in the next, uh, and, then, uh, and they'll read it. Listen, it's important sometimes, people say it's important for the work that we're rewarded and then also critiqued. 
I don't give it too much weight. Mm. I think that's the only way you can, it's like life, you know, I don't reward myself too much and I don't berate myself. I try and keep an even balance in my life all the time, keep it as simple as I possibly can. Reviews, yeah, it's great if it works, if it doesn't then you get slagged, That's that can be detrimental. Mm. I suppose it's just the way that people, but words in any situation are powerful. Mm-hmm. Compassion, you know, how you leave somebody's life, how you tell somebody that they haven't enjoyed their performance or, or they don't enjoy the, the play they're doing. But I don't tend to read it, but more often than not, somebody will be sitting there going, uh, I've got a mention, so I'm going to read this. <laughs> I'm going to read this out because it's... Okay, well, champion, yeah. Can we just say how bloody brilliant that I was during this performance? <laughs> and I shall take that wording and I'll bring it out for the rest of the time. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a great thing in times, but I don't, yeah, I just don't give it too much reliance, really, because you could drive yourself back. I think it could do you a lot of damage if you did. Keep the even keel, don't reward or berate yourself at all times, and don't allow somebody to do that to you either. I think that's the thing. Well, I want to champion everybody. You know, you or whoever is in my life that I'm, I'm passionate and I'm precious about, I want to be the biggest cheerleader for everybody because... I love people, I'm like you, I'm very curious about the world, that's why I love travelling, that's why I love my job, I meet people all the time, mm-hmm. you know, it could be two minutes, two days, two weeks you spend with somebody, you know, hopefully two years, whatever, but serendipitous moments are powerful. And you, I feel like you're like a collector of people then, because, you know, you have been in all these companies, we're talking to you as an actor, uh-huh. but it's not a solo activity all no, the time, no. you know, you're, you're having to live with these people, uh-huh. you're having to, before you even... You know, it looks like it's going to go on a stage. You're spending X amount of uh-huh. days and weeks putting this thing together. Yeah. Do you enjoy the, that kind of process? I do, but it depends on you know what it is. Not all rehearsal periods are going to be great, and maybe yeah. you're not always going to make everything work. Mm-hmm. I've done projects where I'm like, I don't know if this is actually fitting, or it wasn't quite what I expected. But expectations are, you know, we all know that can mm-hmm. rob you of everything. I love the collaboration. So, I mean, the recent thing was that I was doing a development with a guy called Andy McGregor, who's one of these ultra-talented bastards because he can do everything. Like yeah, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. The thing is, he's a good guy. He's a great director, I think. He's, he's a good man-manager. He's just very creative. He's a songwriter. He, you know, he's a musician. He was a musician before he became a directing sort of okay. style. So his journey's been quite lovely. And he's a, you know, he's just a, a good bloke to be around. Mm-hmm. But because of COVID, obviously, these sort of situations of development and being in a room have been very sparse. I found myself in a room with what, eight, eight people and it was so good. I mean, everybody in the room was just so bloody talented. Um, it was just great to be part of it. As human beings, I loved them all. I mean, yeah, eyeballing people on stage is great, and when that collaboration really clicks into place and everybody's willing it to be the best project possible, um, it's a wonderful feeling. And that's the thing about human beings. When we're all chasing one goal, it works. It's when we all start to disperse from each other and try to compete or whatever. But that room was great because it was a lot of new people for me as well. Okay. So a lot of new actors I'd never worked with. Yeah, because you'll get to do it for 22 years and not see a lot of the same faces. But, uh, so it must be quite nice for you when there is like, uh, like fresh meat in terms of like, <laughs> we've never worked together yeah. and the opportunities that that's going uh, to bring in terms of being in the moment with somebody. Yeah. And you don't know where that friendship could go. That's the thing. It's like these people become really, you know, close pals, yeah. and it's great. And I, and I love it. And those relationships might spark off into some sort of other professional way. You know, you might end up doing a show with somebody, or, or write with somebody. Or I don't know. It's just walk up a hill. With walk up a hill. Walk up a Monroe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the best mother nature, uh, soul medicine in the world. But yeah, it's just all these introductions to people, and that's like any part of it. It's just you don't know where these situations well, will take. Yeah. In two thousand and fourteen. Uh huh. Yeah. 
doing our professional things. Yeah, aye. You know, and, and we're here, we're here like, know. many years later, and that's just lovely. I know. That, is a, that is a total gift. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It really is. And, you know, in terms of, like, the audiences that you've been able to enjoy as a, as a performer, you know, you're talking about being all over the world. Aye. Have you seen differences in audiences around the world? Like... Oh, big time. Multiple differences, yeah. and I guess, like, obviously, you've performed for children as well, uh, children's theatre. What's what that been like? Oh, well, uh, yeah, so I was lucky enough to go to, like, you know, America, USA, I've, I've performed in China, and, and then all over Europe, and then as well as, like, you know, theatres in Glasgow and all over Scotland. And it is very different, and culturally, it's very different, and it feels slightly surreal at times. And watching people react to certain things that happen on stage is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just even like, attention like how people as an audience sit with how, how used they are to being an, an audience as well I mean what a gift to be able to say that your job's taken to these places and you've met all these people and you've affected these people in some regard as well who knows how many of these what they'll remember or not yeah and that's the thing you don't get to always know I, I guess it's nice if somebody comes up to you at the end of the stage door or whatever ah. and say I love that and totally yeah, great. Impact. but you can't the ripple effect of ah. what you do yeah. that, you know as much as it would be nice to hear all the nice things but they do exist, they're out in the world. Like we all, you've been to see performances that are staged by... Oh! You've not had the opportunity to tell that person. Yeah, exactly. There'll be people, people all over the world yeah. that are thinking about you still to this day. Aye, that's a great thing, isn't it? I never thought of it. It really like is. Yeah. It's wonderful. I mean, it's funny, we did a, I did a play, I don't speak French, and I had to do a play in French. This kid's show was done in French. And I remember, we did it in French, so people either thought we were from Belgium or Quebec, usually, because they could tell there was an accent. Okay. So the entire thing in French, and there was always a sort of small monologue at the end of this play that I had to, you know, a bit of a chunk. The rest of the lines were just kind of one-liners. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is the, the, the play would end and the audience would come up to you and start monologuing at you in French, and I had no clue what they were saying. So I felt terrible because I was like, oh no, they're going to they're gonna suss out that I'm a pure imposter. I, I, don't, I don't speak French! I've only got 30 pages in French and that's me, I'm done. But I was, you know, you could tell they were obviously enjoying it and they wanted to tell you, and I, you know, you look at somebody's face, you know they've loved it. I don't necessarily need to, and that's the thing about, you know, Charlie Chapman, etc. It comes out your body, yeah, how you feel. Yeah. In China, you know, all these places that you're seeing audiences are then reacting to what's happening on stage. It's like, it just comes out of people and they might react in different ways and sometimes that slightly puts you off. But essentially, they're all enjoying it in their own way. Yes. You know? Yeah, and you're thinking, like, what brought you to this theatre on this day at this time and what they've left at the door? Yep. Or what they've brought in with them? Yep. And, that, and that's the other thing. Yeah, what you asked earlier on about, like, you know, if you've had you know, an argument with your partner, etc., mm-hmm. or, or something terrible's happened and then you've got to go on stage and sort of find a way to sort of cope with that during and sometimes you are a little bit outside yourself, but it's like leave at the door, focus on your job, get into it, and sometimes Doctor Theatre will just rapidly help you through it you know the amount of times I've walked on stage feeling like crap either physically because I've got the cold Mm -hmm. or maybe something has occurred in my life and I've got to just switch on try and be clear in the moment with my dancing partner as such whoever's on stage with me to make those moments work Mm -hmm. and um, it's a powerful tool to sort of sometimes get you through stuff um, and I guess doing like the type of theatre that's not in your you know your kind of like traditional sense like street theatre uh-huh. and talking to people and, ah, I loved and all interacting that. that's like the best one of my favourite gigs is with Mischief Labar which just basically translates as mischief over there you know it's genius surreal humour on the streets of yeah I mean I was in China with Mischief Labar I've been to Venezuela I've been all over Europe you know Denmark wow. for a, in the streets of these places, and again, no word, it was a great um, Red Man, Blue Man, it was called this gig, mm-hmm. and famously I used to use one of the photographs of me holding up a loaf, and it was on fire, 
So this was this this gig would culminate, and so Redman is stalking Blue Man. They would eventually meet, and it became quite a sort of slapstick routine. So Red Man's all about the aggression and the anger, and obviously Red and danger, and Blue Man's just a bit kind of like a bit glaker, just a bit like what the hell, you know, what's going on in the world? Oh, I'm quite, I'm having a great time. And then Red Man, they, they they meet, and we sort of form this big, you know, cleverly we'd sort of form a circle, so the audience would naturally sort of draw in, yes. and we'd have laundry bags, and we'd sort of you know cut his tie. I was usually Red Man, cut the tie, uh-huh. and then we'd put loaves of bread on our hands and light them up on fire and box with them so no words no words needed but it's it looked spectacular it was a great gig and you can completely i mean it was so funny like people were laughing their heads off because they see blue man walking down the street and then i'm coming up behind a pillar box like looking all angry and like and they're going what the hell's going on here why is he falling why is he blue why is he red and what where are they going just constantly, you know, entertaining people. But you can completely change somebody's day. And a lot of times, these were kind of quite wordy gigs. We did a, a gig called the Elvis Presley Cleaning Company. Oh, yeah, so singing Elvis songs, so we nice. harmonies, but just full apart. It's like you know, London, Copenhagen, Austria, wherever I was, and you know, as long as people understood you, mm. just you know, changing people's days because ah. they might be, you know, they, exactly, they might have had a breakup with their partner walking down the road, and you're just, just. Intersecting their day a little bit, yeah, just, just warping their day a little bit. Yeah, just like two minutes of a little yeah. interaction, and they've walked away smiling. You've like, I've helped them, mm. and I feel great. I mean, I used to love that work because it really helped me at times. You know, you're going through periods of you know where there's no work, etc. Yeah. And also socially, that was a great company because there's so many of us all in, uh, involved in it. Mm-hmm. So many great actors, performers that. You know, socially would go out together and... Yeah, you're learning all the time then from yeah. the people that you're working with yeah. and also just, like, how to be with yeah. other people because, you know, audiences out in the street don't behave in inverted commas, do you know what I mean? And that's great. Yeah. Because we know how to behave in a theatre. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, some people don't. <laughs> but in the street, it's a whole other setup. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I found that with, like, even the cupcakes, you just yeah. don't know. You can plan to an extent, uh-huh. but you don't know what to expect. And that's a great thing because it yeah. keeps you on your toes it keeps you fresh yeah. you don't get like complacent then yeah different reaction and it's live reaction it's not hidden by a, a, you know the fourth wall yes. you've got to basically be right on your feet but it's been great for me I mean you know because now I'm doing Dame at, at Paisley and yes. that's been a real gift as well but that street theatre stuff has allowed you know I've got all these lines that are, some of them are absolute rubbish but <laughs> just absolute crap jokes that I'm now utilising in that, that world because it's live it's you're winding people up mm-hmm. and, and I love it because part was mostly sometimes improvised. Yeah. You know, you've got obviously a script you follow, but I'm a bit of a riot, to be quite honest with you. Um, <laughs> I don't really hold back. Uh, Artistic license. Yeah, exactly. Let me do my thing. Get out of my way. Here we go. Um, but yeah, just yeah, all that, all that learning. Mm. You know, that's. I mean, I did mischief for really on and off for twenty years. Wow. You know, and grew up with it slightly as a performer, and so I've got no fear about making an arse of myself in life. I mean, I've had girlfriends that've completely abandoned me in a shopping mall because they're like I can't handle you the way you've been like because I'm just taking the piss I don't, I don't mind making a fool of myself I'm completely like bring it on let's have a laugh yeah. here life's too well, short I was just going to say like the way that the world is yeah, you know we need you it. can find pockets of joy exactly and not take yourself too seriously yeah. you have won the lottery yeah and that's that, see now I wish that work was happening more often obviously yeah. street theatre it's a gift because it's completely warped your your day for no reason. It's just come about. It's come upon you rather than you've invited yourself to it. Mm. Listen, like I mean, just a tenuous link, but like nature, the hills. Mm. I don't know who I'm going to meet in that hill, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing. 
and it, there's no class. The community that is on that street watching you or getting involved in something or partnering with you is the same people that could be going up a hill and you just, it doesn't exist. It's yeah. just, there's the people you're bonding with at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Easter House to flipping Shanghai. I don't care. It doesn't matter who they are. They're human beings. They want a laugh. And we all need that. Yeah. We all grasp for it. You know, it's like, it's yeah. such a powerful tool and it's such a shame that a lot of the way society's going, we're losing a lot because people are closing in. You know, communities getting slightly disintegrated in some regards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're sort of slightly you know, losing those connections of like your neighbour. You know, sometimes you don't even know your neighbour. You know, and that's I think that's that's uh, quite tragic. Well, we were just speaking obviously before we started recording about that thing about just passing somebody in the street and saying hi huh? or being at a bus stop yeah, and just striking up a conversation. Yeah. It might just be the tonic that you need. But it also might be the tonic that they need, and you might learn something. You might not like. Who knows? But you know the the possibilities are endless. But if you don't spark up a conversation, you'll never know. Yeah, we Eugene. I used to so I lived in Shawlands, and you know we used to go to the local Sainsbury's. There's a guy that worked in the Sainsbury's called Eugene, mm-hmm. right? Which also looks quite funny. It's not yeah. a very common name, I know exactly. But he's a pure, you know, Glaswegian Eugene guy. How's it going, chief? You know, blah blah blah. Right? But he was a total gentleman. And these were small bits of my day. I go down to get my my, my shopping for my dinner, whatever it is. And I know that we were helping each other out sometimes, you know. He's maybe had a, a, a crap day at work and I've maybe had a crap day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're having these small conversations it's, and it, it can change your day. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, bus stops, wherever it happens. I mean, I'll give you an example. I remember, this is years ago, I was doing a job with Scottish Opera. And we were on the Isle of Lewis and they were, fun, funnily they put us in a bunkhouse, which I always thought was a bit weird, right? Mm-hmm. So there's me and there's three lassies I'm working with. So a cellist, a flautist, flute player mm-hmm. and a singer and myself. And I like a wee chant. And there's this fella in the bunk below me called Harry. And Harry was 87 years of age and we all got talking to him. Mm-hmm. Now, it was completely random that we were there when he happened to be there. Mm-hmm. But obviously I was curious. I knew he was a fair age and I was like, how the heck has Harry arrived here? <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, he says, I've, I've come up from Grimsby. I mean, I don't remember what he spoke like, but that's roughly. Okay. And he goes, uh, and I goes, how did you get here? And he goes, I-, I hitchhiked. And I thought, you've hitchhiked from Grimsby? to the Isle of Lewis and he goes he goes I, I do it every couple of years I come here and I just you know relax for a few days and then I go back down but I always hitchhike right yes, I know I was, this guy's an absolute and that's what I mean intercepted my life I'll never forget this guy now the thing was what made it absolutely beautifully bizarre we're talking away late at night and the girls are playing music you know just jamming we're talking away the flautist then goes you know try to get the story out of him and mm-hmm. he turned out served in the same ship is her uncle, so the girl that played the flute. No. No, Second World War, right. Now that's what I mean, that's utterly, like, beautiful connection, yeah, right? Ah, yeah. which I find quite difficult because I'm not a believer in, you know, mm. God, yeah. But, yeah. so anyway, I'm sitting there, right, and I, the next morning I was going to the Butter Lewis, right, mm-hmm. so at the very top of the, the, the island, I said, look, Harry, do you want to come with me? So we bow-legged Harry jumps out the bunkhouse and jumps into the van with me, you know, pulls himself up in this transit van, just me and him, and we drive off. And I've got this photograph of Harry, which I, I treasure. And again, these are these fleeting moments, but I'll never forget Harry as long as I live. And we've driven to Butterloose, and we're just looking out to, as far as you can see, it's the ocean. And he's standing right next to me with his little cagoule on. And he goes, um, thank you for bringing me here. And he says, because I don't know if I'll ever be back. And my heart broke, right? But I did, I thought, this guy's... 88, 87 years of age how many trips is he going to make in his lifetime and I could tell he was quite emotional but he was genuinely thanking me for taking him to that, that place he'd, he'd never been, he'd been to the Lewis so many times but he'd never actually been to the Butterloose you know, which I thought was funny as well but 
just these small moments of life that really reinvigorate you. I mean, you need to be open to that. You're yeah. open to that. I think it's just that generosity of spirit that you've got. Uh-huh. And, you know, even the last, like, two years, like, your generosity of spirit over the internet, uh-huh. you talking on Instagram, yeah. it means so much. Do you know what I mean? It really does. And, and vice versa. Because, Comes right back you know, a lot, a lot of the time, you're right, we are closed. I think people are fearful, you know, of other people uh-huh. and their intentions. Uh-huh. And I think if you just go about your day with the idea that most people are good. Yeah. And most people have got the right intentions. You know, not, nobody's perfect. No. People make mistakes. doesn't make them a bad person. Exactly. You know, but you, if you just, if your heart and your mind is open to, like, you're open to changing your mind yep. as well about stuff. Big time. I think it just is such a gift. It really is. Yeah, not living in fear. Uh-huh. So much of us live in fear, you know, mm. relationships, you know you know, what's coming next, you know, jobs, you know, stress levels, you know, punctures of life, complications are always going to happen. And actually the human condition itself is lived in fear a lot of it. It's like, I'm here in this big bloody universe and trying to marry up the fact that how actually insignificant we are. Yeah. But we're significant to the people that are very precious to us and that's about championing and being open to other people and at significant points in their life when they really need it. I need you as my shoulder. I need you to get your shoulder around the wheel to help me. Well, I'll do that for you. I'll help you, brother. I'm going to make sure you get there. And that's when you sort of get yourself out because you're sort of reinvigorated by somebody. Just kindness, compassion. You know, I sound like a bit of a hippie, but that's I, I, I really believe in it. But and these things happen significantly when you sometimes really need them. You know, it's like they, you know, you're like, oh, I'm really glad I met this person, Harry. You know, people you've met, people you're connecting with on Instagram that have come on your your podcast. That, you know, can change other yeah, people's worlds are so, listening so grateful that you're here and we're having this conversation yeah, yeah. like I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the moment yeah, that I'm here right exactly. now and I'm loving it and yeah. I'll take so much from today yeah. yeah there's a million things going on in my life but right now I'm, I'm present yeah, yeah. and it's good and I'm enjoying totally. the chat and I'll say all the right things do you know what I mean and I, and I do mean them like everything I say I, I mean it but you know me saying like you need to just be open you need to not be fearful like I'm a fearful person yeah. I, I'm somebody who worries about what's not happened yeah. but I aspire yeah. I always aspire to be like it's going to be alright yeah. just get a go fear is well fear is courage walking so we're all fearful and you know we're all trying to walk along life mm-hmm. and, and carry that fear and carry our rocks and try and sort of un- unpack them as we go I mean look my so I took a walk that significantly changed my life in 2013 mm-hmm. and the reason that I became a celebrant was mm-hmm. because of this walk and so my life before that you know, things had happened, a, a, a friend had died. Now, there was no one reason for me going on that walk, but the walk, it changed everything. So this walk's called El Camino Santiago, and it's a religious pilgrimage, traditionally, but it's become just a trail for people to walk. Now, I would suggest, I probably am quite spiritual as a person. I don't believe in an afterlife or God, but I'm, I'm, for me, the spirit is what I imprint on you, and vice versa, what we imprint on each other, what is within us when we leave to other people. It's powerful, yeah, it's great. And I took this walk. Now, I just started walk. It's a long walk. That's all it is. It's just a fucking walk. And I'm walking. And the minute I left the first, they're called albergues, which are these hostels for pilgrims, you know, so they're really cheap. So you start in France, you go up the Pyrenees, and then you come right, walk all the way across Spain. And there's different routes. And in fact, next year would be 10 years since I did it. And I want to go and do this route called the Norte, which is the North Route, which is, you know, a bit more mountainous, etc. But... I'm walking, and the minute I left that first albergue, I knew it was the right thing to do for me. And I've been all around the world, but I was like, this is the best thing I've done for myself in my life. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, there's this uh, <laughs> there's this big famous bit of it. 
um, you're about halfway, say, and it's a big iron cross in the middle of this big mound of stones. And what you're supposed to do is bring something from back home and leave it yes. almost as a, a revelation of, of life or whatever you want to sort of impart and you know, find yourself, etc., etc. all these kind of things that we, we tell ourselves to try and make ourselves feel better. Now, I knew about the fact that I was supposed to leave a rock or something significant, and I'm walking, and I realised I didn't have a rock, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, exactly. So, so I just, I, was, I basically was like, I'll just pick up a pebble. So I picked up a pebble and I'm carrying it, feeling quite sorry for myself actually, going, I didn't bring a bloody rock. And I'm approaching this mound. Now, the thing is, the, the, the mound is about seven kilometres up a sort of small mountainous area. Mm-hmm. Not too tricky, I have to say. It's not steep, but it was yeah. gradual, gradual, gradual. And I met these two people, a big six foot Norwegian and this four foot 11 Mexican. Now, they weren't a couple, but they were walking together mm-hmm. and I loved their company. And I went to this mound and I'll put my wee pebble down and I felt, fuck all. I was like, I didn't feel anything. I was like, right, where's my revelation of this walk and this spiritual walk that people talk about? But anyway, as I'm yeah, half feeling sorry for myself, but enjoying their company, I found a rock. And it's about that big, well, obviously, we're doing this on a podcast. Watermelon Yeah, watermelon size is exactly, that's a great way to put it. I'm glad you're here. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, a watermelon, yeah. <laughs> So it's not even on the mound. It was kind of, you know, a wee bit away and I'm just okay. walking around parading this area looking at these two people and sort of getting the odd wee quip in. And I found this rock and what it said on it changed my life. Oh and, right, I, I'm a very fast walker. And in fact, this Swiss guy called Eve started calling me the Glasgow Rocket. <laughs> and he still calls me that. I still WhatsApp each other and all that stuff. Anyway, I'm walking and... I'm about 25 kilometres from Santiago, which is where most people finish the pilgrimage. But I wanted to go into what was the original pilgrimage onto the coast of Spain called Finisterre, which is just this big beach. And I'm about 25 kilometres from Santiago, and I'm going too quick. I'd booked a flight from Madrid, but I was rapid, right? I was like, I'm going to end up spending too much time, and I've not got the money to sit in Madrid for like a week and a half. <laughs> but I'm talking to this Danish guy called Johnny and this Spanish guy called Jorge from Alicante, and I'd been ch- chumming with them for a couple of days, and... Three Musketeer kind of stuff, you know, all for one and one for all, and <laughs> loving my life, you know, very, very happy, very settled. I felt very present, the most beautiful experience of my, my life, really, that walk, I think. But I'm sitting in this wee cafe, middle of bloody nowhere, but there's this French Canadian couple that can hear me talking. I'm, like, I'm going to bloody, you know, I'm not a Scotsman, so I, obviously my accent sticks out of my own. And this girl called Jane and her partner Fred hear me, and she goes, Well, you don't have to go to Madrid, you could go to Porto, Porto's much cheaper to go to, and then you can hang about there for a few days. And I thanked them for that, and didn't think anything more of it, went, you know, Buen Camino, you know, which is just basically what you say to the pilgrimage, pilgrims. And then I slowed up, and I'm about seven kilometres from Santiago, again, where Jen and Fred were stopping, and I'm in this bar, and I walk in, and I had lost Jorge and uh, Johnny, they'd walked onto Santiago, but I wanted to slow up. kind of wanted to enter the square at Santiago on my own as well, I don't know why. So I'm sitting with Fred and Jen, and they're like, you know, you know, we've been walking with two Americans for the last week and a half, and we've kind of lost the Camino spirit, you know, would you mind me asking why you're walking? Now, which a lot of people did ask, you know, why you're walking, was there any catalyst? There wasn't really, I just decided that was the right time, but I knew it was the right time. And I said to him, I said, everybody I've met has been really beautiful and I feel this is the right thing for me to be here. And he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, you know, we're a couple, but we've been walking separately at times. And he goes, and it's funny, you know, Jen, at one point, where did you go to the cross? I said, oh, of course I went to the cross. He goes, yeah, we sort of separated walking there. And he goes, but I saw Jen walk up this hill crying the whole way. And I really wanted to know what was going on, but also wanted to leave and respect her to whatever it was that was going on. 
and she was carrying this rock, and they're quite religious, so she's like almost Christ-like on her neck yeah. up this hill. Okay. And that was fine. I says, well, I says, no, I didn't bring a rock, but I'm glad you've told me that. But I says, I found a rock, mm-hmm. and, you know, I feel all the better for it. I, I basically, when I saw that rock, I tell you, Lisa, I bounded off that mountain. I was singing songs, Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, The Kinks, mm-hmm. and these two people were joining in with me because I like, this guy's a nut job, he's quite fun. <laughs> Uh, he'll do it for a while, uh, but I, I was full of life. I was so high, man, and I was—it was a natural high, and I felt like, oh, yeah, I've, I've rediscovered something in myself. But and uh, Fred goes, so what, what was the rock? Tap, 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 tap right through my photographs, yeah. and I'm about two hundred photos into it, and I show him, and he goes, "That's Jane's rock." Well, I I burst into tears, and then so did she. And I'm getting a bit emotional thinking about it because it was like that significance. Like basically, I was like going right. So to to do the walk was extraordinary, but to meet the author of the, I mean to find the rock, to meet the author of the rock, and I, and that's what I mean by something. I was like everything feels like it's significant. Yeah, well, yeah. Ah, and that was such a peaceful, easy feeling. And and I was like, I don't need to know why you wrote what you did in the rock. It's none of my business. But thank you. Yeah. I'll not be the only person that gains from it. And it was it was a sort of. Very personal to her, but it was a reasonably generic enough mm-hmm. phrasing on it that I think most people would take peace and quiet from it. You know, that, and then I went on to Finisterre at the edge of the, the world at that point is what they thought when they first started doing this walk, and, and I'm with other pilgrims, and we're all running butt naked into this water, and, you know, I'm high, and you know, I just, I just, I loved it, and I, and I cried more powerfully then than I've probably done for a while, but but it was a beautiful experience in my life, and that's what led me to want to become a celebrant, was the to leave this sort of legacy, to help people to sort of marry or to, you know, take part in their funeral, to tell their story of life. But that rock, man, I was like, that's still... Yeah, isn't it? You go... I mean, everybody that was on that walk feels... And I'm still in touch with a lot of those pilgrims. I mean, there's great people. There's a guy called Bob, American Bob, who couldn't speak a word of Spanish, but he thought he could. Okay. So he's one of these guys, you're walking through a village, going, yeah, yeah, me and my amigo, we're we're, we're walking, you know, see, me comprende, comprende. I mean, he's like three words he spoke in Spanish, but he thought he was speaking fluent, bloody. But he, he actually, there was a story, but I never really got to, I mean, there's loads of people with stories and, you know, quite haunted people. There was a man that was very disfigured who had spent time in jail and he had a bit of a reputation on the Camino because people were quite scared and he was built like a brick shithouse. But, but I walked to him and I was, I was scared. And I was on this mountain and he ended up walking next to me. And I realised I was a judgy budgie because I was going, I've heard from all these other people and they've told me something about this guy. So, so they're, yeah. But he was a gentle guy and he's like, mm-hmm. he tried to redeem himself and he'd, he'd done things in his life, there's no doubt about it, that he wasn't happy with. Mm-hmm. But he was trying to walk to sort of get that exercised. But Bob, you know, was this kind of like blissful soul. And he wasn't even that profound, but he was. We're on a balcony and I can't remember it was in the Camino. And I'm sitting with these uh, three Irish people and Bob, and he's doing his usual, you know, yes. He, basically, everything he would say, those would go, see, see, Chris. He wouldn't say yes, or he thought he was speaking Spanish. See, Chris, see, see. And that was the, the amount of Spanish he got to. But he says, you know, I don't know why I'm walking this walk, and I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. But he goes, if it's been on a balcony with a Scots guy and the three Irish people drinking red wine, then that's Camino for me. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm going, where's the... Yeah, yeah, but like, where's, where's the deeper meaning? Where's all the kind of revelation? And he's going, I'm sitting on a balcony, I'm having a great time, I don't care. I'm just like, but they get, he loved dogs, he loved dogs. But he's like, he'd walk away from these people that he felt sort of 
briefly connected to them. They go, I love that dog. Because maybe they had a dog with them. Yeah, it's like the day the dogs. I, mean, I love dogs as well, but I just thought this was incredible. Bob disappeared, and I actually, when I was on, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I was on Facebook, and I did put up a post of his image because uh-huh. I wanted to find out what happened because a lot of people I did catch up with latterly towards, or I hung about in uh, Finisterre or Santiago for a couple of days after it finished, yeah. and I caught up with other pilgrims, but he disappeared, and I don't Gosh. know what happened. Yeah, it's almost like this, you know, unspeaking Spanish guy that thought he could suddenly. <laughs> Came into my life and then flippantly left. I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he was, but he was a beautiful. I could tell there was something going on. He was a beautiful soul. There was something in there, and he was loving his life, man. Mm. And and that's why I'm kind of tempted to go back on next year and do a different route. I would never repeat that walk. Yeah, I would do it again, but I would do it with somebody. With some, uh, yeah, I would change yeah, it up. Yeah. If it was uh, a partner, I would be, maybe do it because then it would be different. Because it was a beautiful yes. experience to watch people. I've got so many photos of, you know, I was walking solo. I would walk with people as I met them. So, yeah, yeah. But you'd, I've got so many photos of people walking and they're hand in hand with their partner. And then they would sort of depart from each other and then meet each other. But honestly, Lisa, I mean, these albergues at night, you're sharing community food, they're all making food together, sharing stories. It was the most beautiful thing and I, I, I would urge anybody that's sort of thinking about to go and do it I just think it's a great thing to do and you know to travel is to open up and yeah. to meet I think if I ruled the world I'd make it mandatory and not everybody needs it because some people are very happy with their world and that's it and that's fine but I'm, I'm a I need to go out I need to do things I've got mountains I meet yeah, people I see that all the time I think it's like it's lovely that you've got that passion aside from your job because your job is your passion you know, you love, you know, you've always loved acting, telling stories, but you've got something that is just for you, that self-care that you were talking about earlier on. Yeah. It's really important to have that. Is, I think we all need it. Everybody does. Mm. And... You know, sometimes I'll ruminate up a hill, not in the right way, but mm-hmm. it, it gives me, Mother Nature gives me the space to at least get it through my head, maybe something I need to accept or that's been bothering me. Or But then sometimes it's just, you know, intercepted by somebody being on the hill and then you end up having a conversation with them and you're sitting on a summit and... It's a beautiful experience, but I mean, whether it's a hill or you like playing golf or I don't, I don't fishing, yeah, we all need these moments of life, yeah. don't we? Just to sort of gather ourselves and you know have a thought and then go right. I'm ready for the next kind of the mm. next thing that's coming down the line. But it's good. And you were talking about like the power of words, of course. You know, and the scripts that you've been able to to bring to life uh-huh. and the stuff that you've devised and worked on. You know, and your ideas have flooded into. And, and speaking about that kind of like escapism of theatre uh-huh. as much as it's a mirror up to society a lot of the time you know at the end of the day it's made up yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fictional but then you know to take that skill set and take those words and knowing the power of words and take it into a real life setting like to be a celebrant no. that's like another yeah, level another like it's such like a responsibility I guess Aye. was there a defining moment you were like that I want to do this I want to be a celebrant yeah, I mean, the walk certainly opened me up. Mm. Um, and then I did a, a, a period of my life where I was like, where I love my job, I love meeting people, how best am I to, when I'm not acting, yeah. make those connections and, mm. and tell stories? And, like, for me, every meeting with a couple is like the hostel table. <laughs> you know, it's like wherever that table happens to be in the hostel or in a bar or wherever yeah. you are, and you, people exchanging stories. And it's a beautiful thing to sit with a couple and hear their love, mm. their journey together. Mm-hmm. What a gift. And, um, but I think that was, yeah, just uh, when I came back from the Camino, I was like, how do I leave a legacy here? Who knows where my career will go as an actor, but you know, I would like to think that something a bit more prominent and spiritual to imprint on people, as I say, that you've married them or you've told their story when their, their family's mm-hmm. gone, etc., uh, family members away. But 
I just sort of decided to do this course and I had to save a bit of money to sort of do it and then plugged away paying that course off. It coincided with the, the lockdown. So I was due to start the, the course on the 16th of March, whatever happened. And then for eight weeks, I just sat, creatively wrote. And it was, it was, it was again, it was a bit like a bit of fear because I hadn't been marked formally for creative writing for such a long time since college. Yeah, I was like, I don't know how to do this. But I was loving writing. Mm-hmm. I was, and I've lo- I love writing the scripts. I love getting people's stories and then creating little scripts for their ceremonies. And yeah, it's just, and also just sharing that moment, watch people exchange love. Yeah. You know, it's personal vows. There's a thing called three reasons, which, you know, you just asked a couple to give me three reasons why they love the other. And often it's the most beautiful part of the ceremony. It's quite funny, but it's also really touching and it allows them a moment. If, if they're writing personal vows, they'll often do that as well. Mm-hmm. But I just, I love it. And then, yeah, funerals, you know, are hard, mm-hmm. depending on the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have had to question myself could I do, for instance, like, a child's funeral, I don't know. I mean, I would like to think I would do it for the family. The funerals I've done have all been people of age, I would suggest, that you would accept they're, they're gone. Yeah. yeah. And I've felt a great yeah, beauty in telling those stories. Mm. It must be such a comfort to the families as well, I think, just that it is somebody who is a great storyteller like yourself, uh-huh. Jimmy, that isn't just paying lip service. Oh, somebody uh, really takes their time to understand who the person was. Oh, yeah. That is a skill, yeah. and not everybody can do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, well, how do I want it for myself? I want my life to be told by somebody who's enthusiastic about my life, and I want my story to be great. To, that's why I, I do all these things. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to have been somebody you know. No. But these families, these mm-hmm. sons, daughters, nephews, you know, friends of these people are telling you their story, and they want it to be told as beautifully and as, as mirroring that person as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's a great thing. Sometimes it's funny. Yeah. You know, I quite like, I mean, I want to put the fun in funeral. I want to, I, whatever the last chapter is, that is the last chapter, but it doesn't define somebody. Their whole life should be celebrated and we should celebrate people that were here with laughter, with love, with singing, you know, all these things um, to try and, you know, tell the story as best as we possibly can. It's a beautiful thing. and I mean, I'm loving it. It feels like the, definitely the right thing alongside my career. It's been, yeah, it's been great. I've met some great people. It's a gift. It's an extraordinary thing and, and I'm so happy I found it. I feel... I'm good at it. It seems like a, like a natural yep. thing to, to, to end up doing, you know, alongside the acting, Aye. you know what I mean? Because you just love people, yep. you love stories, yep. and you love connecting people, yep. you know, and you love moving people. Yep. What, what I'm like you. I'm curious about the world. Mm. You know, you yeah, have this exactly. beautiful curiosity. Mm. I want to hear people's stories. I want to know what makes them tick. Totally. And to share a moment. Yeah. And and that's all you're doing is, you know, you know marrying people. And I'm, I'm very fortunate the people I've married are, you know, becoming pals of mine, they're, they're still still in touch, and, and I make that the thing, I'm like, look, I want to know you as long as, I, it depends when they book you, but it's like, I want to know you as long as possible before it comes to the moment, so that we're all as relaxed as possible, so that we're just joyful, I mean, there's well, nerves that attached. That's the important bit of the yeah. day, I mean, I know like the flowers and the party ah. afterwards and all that, all of that's important, but, you know, you're the person that matters, because... Ah. It's great that your family and friends are there, but you're the person that's matter, you know, the, the ceremony yeah. that you do. Yeah, you know, it's a connection you need to have with those two yeah. people. So the vibe for me is to work just as much for them. Yes. And that's why I say to every couple, speak to other celebrants, because mm-hmm. who don't know who you'll match with, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know yeah, like a course. dating process, or, but, you know, I respect the legal process, I respect how they want it done, mm-hmm. but obviously there's a performative act. I, I think every actor should do this job. Because it's transferable skills. It's like, we all love telling stories. We love people. I mean, whatever job you do, you could become a servant, to be fair. But I think it's naturally, the the skills that we have, 
you know, public speaking, writing a script, delivering a script, being a, a, a good person that's open to everybody. I just think it's absolutely tailor-made for everybody that's in the arts. You know, choreographer, actor, poet, musician, yeah. whatever you do, get on board, let's all flip and marry folk. And <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, cause I, I mean, I've got I mean, my own funeral, I've got ideas of how, you know, when they close that right. curtain, you know, I, I, I definitely you know... get to be a celebrant and not think about yeah. that. I, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to talk <gasps> about death, I think it's very healthy. And uh, But when they're closing that curtain... I mean, I'm, I'm adamant, I want the merry melodies and then some reflective music. And they're also got this idea in my head, I saw this because it's Paddy's day today. And there's a great Irish thing, you can watch it on YouTube, where there's a burial. So they get, the coffin's getting lowered and the guy's got a voiceover. He's like, you know, no, knocking you. Listen, they just want me money. It's all a call. I'm not dead yet. They just want me money, you know. So I've got this thing in my head where I'm going to do that. I'm going to, like, you know, as they're burning me, just be like, you know, get a voiceover going, let me out. I told you I was ill. It's just a stomach bug. <laughs> this is unfair. They want my money. I've not got any money anyway. Just Sorry, give people a laugh. Like, that's how you end your life. Reflect it. Yeah, but yeah. It should be joyful. It should be celebrating the fact that we got to spend time with these people. It's a great thing, you know. It's like all the laughs you shared, the intimacies, whatever that was, whatever journey you had with that person. We've all got whoever twenty people or two hundred. Mm. We've all got a story about that person, and try to hold on to those memories. Feed your soul. Yeah. So people have chosen you. And I don't need the ego boost. I'm not egotistical, but mm-hmm. I do love the fact that people say, I trust you to do this for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting my hand yes, in your hand. Yeah, so my hand's in yours. Not literally, but we're sitting here and I want this triangle of love f- for you two to feel as, as beautiful as it possibly can so that you enjoy it. Because weddings are often, well, you know, it's like they're hectic. They can yeah. be stressful. They can be really buzzed and you, you don't know what's going on. There's so much going on. Um, just that moment to kind of deliver your vows with absolute honesty to your best pal and witnessing that just watching two people go I love you for the rest of my life it's rare mm-hmm. and it's and it's significant and that's you know goes back to that Camino experience of all the people I've met in my life who have either left it or not and I've tried to make peace with those things when they, when they, when they go mm-hmm. it's rare people are rare and, and connections are rare and these couples that say to you yeah we really like you you're great we like the cut of your jib we like the cut of your jib, sonny Jim. Would you marry us? They don't talk about that. Yeah, I wish they would. <laughs> um, I wish they would. It's funny, I've had a few oh, instances where I'm... All the accents. Oh. That's, a, that's I mean, we've even touched sides. That's a skill uh, that not every actor can do. Yeah, I, I, I love it. So Peter Sellers is one of my oh, heroes. Oh, Peter Sellers, Jack Lemon, John C. Reilly, Robin Williams. These are the people I adore and they're brilliant with their voice boxes. And listen, this is... I don't know where it came from because yeah you're right some most actors can utilise their voice box and put impressions on and change their accent and actually most of the time it's just down to vowels I've found okay. but I mean I love wee cartoon voices and you know droopy dog and I'm, I'm going down you know whatever the voice is you know Trump and Schwarzenegger they're my staples um, <laughs> have you done well, I've done wee bits and bobs, uh-huh. but I, I, this is something I'm saying to my agent. I need to try and get done oh, as a wee, yes. get a wee voice, oh, real done. And I've got voices that people go, where the hell did that come you from? Do and the, you know, the sat nav that tells you to turn right and yeah. various I know, exactly. Yeah, I know. I t- pick your accent. Again, when I was a young boy, I think that was where I utilised, you know, if I felt unconfident, I would utilise voices to make people laugh, and that would sort of get me through. And that's a gallusness that I still hold. You know, I'll still do that if I'm in a rehearsal room and I'm like, ooh, I feel a wee bit peculiar, I'll just do something funny, I'll put a wee voice on it at the fine. 
you know, Grandpa Simpson or whatever, you know, that's kind of oh, like, no. yeah, but it's great. But people need that sometimes in, like, in a tense situation as well, like, especially in a rehearsal room and things, maybe just in a work oh. night, you have a hard time, you just need somebody to break down. Yeah, puncture it. Yeah, puncture that flipping tension, man. Just be like, don't, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Exactly. We're not saving lives here. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's no fire. We're just playing with us. Yeah, that's it. Pretending. Isn't it great? Somebody said, it's like, the other day, what was it said to me? I think it was Johnny, it said... We're just, playing, we're just playing shops. Yeah, exactly. That. Johnny's right. Johnny's uh-huh. a very wise man. But it's like you said earlier on about you know, your insignificance in the universe. Uh-huh. And that's quite liberating. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you take it down to the, like, we're in a theatre space and we're making something, uh-huh. yes, take it seriously because it's very powerful stuff. Big time. But also, we're just playing. Yeah. So don't sweat <laughs> yeah. too much. Nobody's <laughs> dying. Correct. Do you know what I mean? It's like doctors Correct. and people are actually really, you know, I mean, right now it's. Yeah. Young men and women, vastly intelligent, more intelligent than I am, speak several languages, are sitting in a fucking country getting obliterated. Oh, so I won't get into that, but you know, it's a dark, dark time in, in, right now. And that's it, you're doing an acting, you're growing culture. I think we all learned during lockdown that we were all flipping Netflix and like crazy. No theatre, no letting, you know, performers, I mean, you've interviewed them yourself, and who are then going out and utilising Instagram as a way to connect mm-hmm. to the outside world to make a laugh. I do it, you know, I'll yeah. put stupid videos up, etc., from time to time, and voices, etc. Because I'm just like, I need a release sometimes, ah. and, and it, play the fool, and you don't exactly, it's that thing of the street theatre, you can change somebody's day. But at times people will, will send me a wee message back because a wee video you put up, and that's all, let's thank you for making me laugh today. Yeah, it's just. It's a gift when you can find the thing that you love yes. to do. Yes, uh, and, and that, you to do that. And as creatives, that's what we're all trying to keep expanding. Mm. You know, don't be sort of, don't let anybody put you in a box yeah. because we've all. I mean, as I say, actors have got variety. It's so we've been given the opportunity to show what you can do. That's why a lot of actors or performers will do their own material. Yeah. Because it lets people see. I didn't know they they could do that. Has there been opportunities that you've maybe not grasped in the past, and now you're like? Somebody said oh. you could do this, oh. and you've went, I'm not ready. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Are you, do you think you're now more equipped to, you're more likely to say yes to things now? I've got no fear now. Okay, yeah. I don't, I'm like, mm. there was a book I read years ago called Yes Man, and they made it into a film, Jim Carrey did it, but the book was brilliant, and it was just like, just say yes to everything, I did, I did actually do it as an experiment, it cost me a lot of money, so I stopped doing it, but no, uh, yeah. but it's an extreme example, but no, I definitely like, I try everything. And I'll give everybody everything I've got while they're in my life, a hundred percent. Every project, every person, every partner, every whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the relationship is, because I don't know how long it'll, it'll be there. Mm-hmm. And I want it to go away with a great impression of life or a, a, an invigoration, hopefully. And now I think, as I'm getting older, I think time has become something of a a winning. I'm aware that I'm halfway through, which sounds morbid, but it's not. It's a beautiful thing. I'm glad that the ageing process, I mean, my hair's going white, I've got all these wrinkles. I'm delighted. I'm like, bring it on. And I've got, I don't, I just don't give a shit as much. I don't it's care. So yeah, it is. And, and don't get me wrong, things affect me. But I'm more, yeah, I'm more in tune now with going, I will say yes to it, even if it scares the shit out of me. Mm. And that's in every aspect of life because if you live in fear, what, what are you doing? Mm. We all have fearful moments, but you have to. Bust through those moments to try and make something happen, you know. There's two things I used to say before I go on stage. Yeah. One is, um, it's magic time. And I say that literally just before I walk on. And the, the one before I walk on the stage is I'm sitting in my uh, changing room mm-hmm. is a deep breath and a leap. And there's a, there's a phrase, there's a word that we had in the communal, which is still, you know, they say it all the time. Yeah. It's Latin and it's ultrea. 
which just means onwards. And I say that again as a kind of running mantra as well. When I'm struggling up a mountain, I'm like, I can't get up this bloody mountain, Chris. I'm like, ultra, and I just fly myself up it. And you know, is that brain of yours ever? Shut off it doesn't. I, I, I don't know. I'm a pure. You, you'll just remember so there's so much detail. Yeah, I'm convinced I've actually got like it was ADD. I don't know if I've ever been like I, I don't know. I go at like 900 miles an hour, and it's I'm like, beautiful to yeah, watch. It's yeah. Beautiful. I mean, I'm I've been just totally captivated. My firework, I'm a firework. I wondered like when you were saying you, you know, you want to give 100% to yeah. everything and everybody and every moment. That's a lot on a person. Yeah. So I guess maybe the hills, that's your Yeah, as it's my piece. Yeah, my mother nature. Yeah, soul medicine. I call it, you know, my soulful summits. I, I play a bit of music for every summit I do and I've got a playlist that, and my final Monroe, the only, I mean, I don't listen to music when I'm going up hills, but in my final Monroe, when I complete, I'm going to have a speaker in my back and I'm going to play that bloody playlist as loud as I want. The ghetto blaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact, the, one of the, fir- the first, second hill I ever did, for second mountain, Ben Nevis, uh-huh. there was a there was a wee Indian guy in the mountain with me, and he had a ghetto blaster and a kilt. And I'll never forget that because okay. he was annoying everybody else. And I was like, I love this guy. <laughs> I was like, I'm struggling. I was like, this guy's he's, and he's just like, yeah, the fucking music was bounding about. And I, I was like, this is great. This guy's changing it up. Uh-huh. And but yeah, it's like yeah, definitely it's my relax. It's my time to be present. And mm-hmm. and as I say, if I meet people on the hill or I don't, sometimes it's solo. You know, like that the, the Camino. Uh-huh. I travel solo all my life. More often than not, I've been to so many countries there's so many I still want to see and experience but I definitely want to share it now with somebody I'm at that point in my life and I want those moments I've been to some wonderful places in my life and been spectacularly underwhelmed because I mean don't get me wrong I love my own company but you're like oh. and that's the thing about the Camino the first time I walked in the square at Santiago I was on my own it was 6 o'clock in the morning and I was a bit like hmm well, that's that. And then when I got to Finisteria, I shared it with this mm-hmm. Italian people, the uh, women, and then the rest of the people that were there in the beach. And that was brilliant. Uh-huh. Yeah, all, all the way through this conversation, you've mentioned so many people that have affected yeah. your existence uh-huh. and, and the effect that you've had in theirs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that is like you're a people person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. And, and yeah. we, I, I, we're not all at that. And I'm an introvert as much as an extrovert. I think mm-hmm. it depends on the company. Yeah. I don't really call myself either. I don't label myself yeah, anything. Yeah, I know. And I think from people in the performing arts they're just deemed extroverts yeah like, mm, I know that's a button that you can um, press because I, I, I have yeah I have my button and I, yeah. and I become you know a firework and yeah. then when I'm intimate with somebody and I'm enjoying my downtime I'm a, as laid back as they come and I enjoy just being peaceful and being yeah. present and putting my incense on and just uh-huh. you know whatever we all have these things we're not one thing to anybody no. or everybody it's we're, that box you were saying earlier yeah. like it's, I think probably as well, like in the performing arts, is that like you know if you were to branch out, there's that kind of um, grappling of like, well, if I'm not doing the thing that I said I was doing, and I'm going to go and do this other thing, does that mean that I don't love the thing that I, you know, originally started? And it's like, no, no, no. Like, why do you need to decide you're that you're in that box? And that's it. You're a brilliant choreographer, so your world was built around visual, right? I'm a very visual guy. I'm not actually very. I mean, I'll use a lot of words, but but I'm more of a visual person. I learn visually. Mm-hmm. And you have went from choreography and visuality and dancing to words mm-hmm. and, and writing poems and, and music and, you know, that's growth. Mm-hmm. And it's also you starting to branch out and discover as you're getting older. Yeah, and that's the same when you were the celebrant stage. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it, seemed, it seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah. You sh- you're, you'd be good at that job and yeah. you love it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But it, I guess it's a journey. Yes, exactly. You need to and get you there. You didn't know you were going to get yeah. there. And I'm ha- and that's what I was about sounding morbid. I was sort of touching that one. I accept that, you know, I'm... I'm a 42-year-old guy 
I, I might have 40 years left. I might have 50 years left. But whatever I've got left, I'm going to get... Get loudy. I'm going to give everything I've fucking got and I'm going to imprint as many people as possible. And I feel peaceful in my heart because I know that I've found something alongside my career mm-hmm. that makes absolute sense to me that I'm doing it. And I know because the people that... I'm with, I'm marrying, that their guests mm-hmm. are, are getting something from me as a person as well. And that's a, a beautiful thing to hold for the rest of my days, for however long I mean. And the person that stands up and tells my story, well, they'll have a hell of a story to tell. Absolutely, they've got some job. And they've got a lot of details. Are you Yeah. Which is what I'm yeah. There'll be a three-hour exam. I'm going to be audition. There'll be a three-hour exam. There'll be an audition. There'll be a workshop process. I'll then pick whoever I want. I'll then have to, you know, vet you again. I'll make sure that I know everything about your life just before I let you tell my story, you prick. Because if you're a prick, you're not doing it. <laughs> but it's great. Is that great? I know. A lot powerful. And life is. We're only here a short while. And once you accept that and make your peace with the fact that yeah, I have significance to you, and now I have significance to. Everything that's in my life, but I'm up that mountain. I'm looking down at a you know a beautiful view, and you just know that it's limited. Mm. And I want to the envelope is that the right word? Take as much in as I possibly can while I'm here. Soak it all up. Yeah, have a bloody good. I want basically to get to the end of my life and go. If I met somebody, if there is an afterlife, you go. I recommend that guy. And you should do that. That's a great thing. I mean, listen, you'll get the odd wee puncture, but it's fucking great. For a wee ride, you'll have a right good time, you'll have these bits of joy that will stretch it, and then there'll be the air will go out for a bit, and you just pump yourself back up. But I would recommend that ride. I would, I, life, you know, we're here to, yeah, we're, yeah, life is for living, all that kind of, these cliches that so work for a reason. I don't think you really say that, like, thank you in this moment for saying that. No. You've blown my tyres back up. Yeah, that's what, and that, that's what you want. From friends, pals, yeah. partners, you know, whatever, be mums that, and dads. Be that person for yeah. somebody else. Be the pump without sounding rude. <laughs> are you are you in strife? Are, can I help you? Right, I'll do it. I'll blow you up and I'll get my shoulder behind the wheel for you for as long as you possibly can. And then it'll come back on you. You know, people yeah. help you. That's the way the world works. You would hope. Yes. yes. Do no harm. Yes. Take no shit. That's one thing I've let. Cynically, I've become a bit more like, mm, a side eye. I'm like, mm, you're a, mm, don't know. So yeah. do no harm but take no shit. People, yeah. you know, the users and liars, etc. Yeah, and that is difficult to, you know, to be a positive person and, and to try to do good in everybody. Yeah. But also you don't want to be taking a lane and you have to protect yourself. That's it, exactly. The, the people in the world do bad things. Yes, exactly. Uh, take you for a soft touch. Correct. Uh, softness for darkness. That. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to thrive if you just get loud yeah, and again that's the other thing that I say before panto yeah. so my, I've got three phrases then actually think about it. magic time is that literally as a step on that's the last thing I say to myself a deep breath and a leap in that dressing room when everybody else is sort of dispersed and I've got my wee quiet and I'm like deep breath and a leap Chris and then get loudy. That's so Paisley I've been doing the dame for the last few years and that's the last thing I say to the, the Waynes before we start mm-hmm. you, know, you get four teams of kids and I love all these wee guys and girls they're just brilliant you know they're so talented and the enthusiasm they they're so good they're so good at what they do but also they're just good human beings I'm like if I can imprint one bit of thing on them it's get loudy I mean I think I do that a few of them go he's an oddball <laughs> but it's the best oddball isn't it it's like an inspirational you know oddball what yeah you're making. and when I'm gone those people will be like he was a nut job but in the best possible way and he helped me you don't know how much strength or how much you treasure a moment until it's a memory that's the that's the nub of life, I think, isn't it? That's when I think about it. like that you 
the feeling you leave with people, and that's that's important. Yes, yeah, the cliches we use, the wealth is you know within the people you share your time with. Correct. Time is the most precious thing any of us have. I give my energy to you, I you give it back, mm. and if you waste my time, that's a problem for me. Yeah. Um, if you waste money, that's on you Good because luck. you know you yeah. could change things. You have limited time in this planet. No, and I genuinely mean money. in this moment. Like, if I was to be struck down in this moment, yeah. I know I've, like, I'm leaving and I've had a lovely time. That's, yes, that's how I feel. I've had a lovely wee time. I've met some great people. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about Instagram for me is like a bit of a memory box. I put this in one of the captions I put up you know, last year when I was climbing a hill. People, if I pass away tomorrow or something, if I die up a hill, that's something they've got. People can look at that and go, that I can see that guy's personality. Mm-hmm. I can see his big stupid face um, but I can also I get his humour I get his part of his stories and that might give people peace and as I say at the end of the day I'm halfway through perhaps and for whatever I've got left I want to spend it in good company doing things that I love doing things I'm passionate about and that's why this is such a good thing for you know podcasts and you know, the one that you have Beyond the Brave and all the other ones I listen to but they're all invigorators of life I think most of the ones I listen to anyway well, we didn't say this is magic time before we started this, but no. this has been absolute magic. No, thank you. I know. It, it really has. It's been very cathartic, I have to say. I've, I've loved it. I feel that's very, to hear. yeah, really very. That's what I mean by looking back when people do it, you know, in terms of family with funerals or mm. with weddings and you're taking a part of your life that you love talking about. I'm so glad I did it because Aww. I was shitting my boxers before I came here. <laughs> you did say that, I yeah. was like, kidding me I know. I loved it. Oh, oh thank you. But I have to, I have to ask you something. Yeah, yeah, we do the image. Yeah. The law now. Yeah. I don't like to pick them in advance. I think I used to pick them in advance. You did. I noticed that. And, I, and then you've I just, changed, Lisa. You've oh, changed. I don't know why you're doing <laughs> this podcast <laughs> anymore. You've I changed. I can't even find it in my thing. Batter away. Let's do it. Right. So. Oh, I have to ask this one. Uh-huh. Favorite view. Oh, favorite view. Wow. In my whole life so far. Yeah. Favorite view. My favorite. Monroe, let mm-hmm. me give you that, is a one yes. called Behind Crane Larich, called, I don't speak Gaelic, I'd love to have spoken Gaelic, called Ben Khabar, C-H-A-B-A-I-R, it's been my favourite Monroe so far, and I was with my pal John, and it's probably the longest I've spent in a summit, and it was a beautiful, beautiful blue sky day, the sun was absolutely beaming down, it was, oh, it was burning almost, mm. and we sat there for, I think, about an hour and a half. Just actually lying in the grass, just taking it in, and every summit has been beautiful. After every summit, you know, depending on if I've got company or not, mm-hmm. all those views. Mm-hmm. I love my country. I've been all over the world. I love my own backyard. <laughs> I love this country, and I realise how precious it is because I've been away. Yeah, of so course. The the greatest view is wherever I am in my country. Who would your three dinner party guests oh my. be? That's hard because okay. that could change. Like I've got people that I would have within the actors I love. Of course. So I said I love Peter Sellers, Jack Lemon, Robin Williams, Ricky Fulton. I would definitely have my grandpa. Mm-hmm. My grandpa, I would love to. See. My dad, my grandpa died when I was seventeen, very suddenly, and I loved my grandpa's chats and uh, that big beautiful Doric accent that he had, and he was mm-hmm. a big burly man, and I loved him. I mean, obviously, it was my grandpa because I'd love to check in with him now. He he would he would love to and that's the thing that sits in me as well. The people that have gone that are your roots, your branches, your family that are no longer here. They're no longer here, but I would want to think they would be proud of me. So that's that's important to me. So my grandpa would be one. I'll tell you who I would I would like to have probably 
Peter Sellers, because he fascinates me. He was a, quite a damaged man, but I read his a couple of books that were written by people, and, and I think he would be fascinating. Also, just the stories, I think he would be funny, be a great company. So Peter Sellers would be one, and then I'm trying to think of who else now. This is this is tricky. I want a, I want a female there just to balance it off. You know what I mean? So it's not just male dominated. Let's talk about shit. Um, a woman who I really admire, I loved. Marilyn Monroe. Oh, nice. I would love to have met her. Um, again, flawed, beautifully flawed, beautiful woman, and not just like with the look. I think she was very vulnerable. And I'd love to have got to know her a bit better, I think. I mean, see the images you see of Marilyn Monroe, the, the one I really love is actually one that's not showy. Yeah. She's just kind of sitting sort of over herself yeah. and gazing right down the barrel of the camera. And she looks quite vulnerable. And yeah, I, I just think there's, there's a huge story there that we don't yet haven't tapped into. So Marilyn Monroe would be quite a nice wee chat. I mean, there's loads of people. This could change in an hour. I've got, I've got a million people. Robin Williams is, I mean I would love to have spoken to him John Belushi John C. Riley. if somebody was to play me in a film of my life it would be John C. Riley. okay what an actor just again beautiful funny does pathos he's greatly vulnerable I think he just taps into stuff and he kind of reminds me of me a bit mm. I like I'd like to have his career and we never even it came into my head earlier on to ask you we might even go to the fact, you know, that you've done telly enough. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. Telly's great, but often it's quite dull. It's, you know, a lot, of about. a lot of hanging about. And mm-hmm. listen, sometimes it's great. I, I filmed a couple of things last year, but one's still to come out, um, which is a sort of drama series, which, okay. yeah, which I think the script's great. Mm-hmm. And then I did um, Scott Squad, which yeah. went out, which was like, that was bizarre because I, you know, I was working with two of my pals. So they were just completely coincidental. No, one of my pals is obviously a, a staple in it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a guy I was at college with who I play five of sides with and he got a part as well. So the three of us on set, but it was a real laugh actually. That was that was a good day. Yeah, telly's been great. I did a film back in 2004. I used to do stand-up and I uh, had this wee character called the Govan Seer who was like a fortune telling Ned, yeah. And this guy, who Bobby Bluebell, who's now, I think he's now a producer, he saw me do this stand-up and said to this woman that was making this film called Festival, now I thought she was seeing me about my act, no, and then I went to this, what turned out to be an audition, okay. to play this stoner, uh, so I just, well, like, a guy who was just a bit fucked the whole way through the film, but um, I loved it, and I was 24 years of age, and honestly at that point I was, Chris O'Dowd was in this, Steve Mangan, and it was great, and I thought, oh here, I've, I've made it. You know, I'm, I'm going to launch with these. Because it was quite a nice wee role. But the film was good. But it was so complex. It was so many stories that it got a bit diluted, I think. So, I mean, it was a good film. But I think it maybe it's just too much going on. Mm. But I, I honestly thought at that point, I thought, oh, listen, I'm going to get a target and loads of adverts when I first graduated. And I, I do like telly. I'd love to do more of it. I think I've heard to, you know, mm. it can be well paid. And you're not going to deny yourself that uh, for the... the <laughs> But the stress relief, but but <laughs> theatre's where it's at. Mm. You know, the live theatre, yeah, you know, eyeballing people, your dance partner and that audience and that lived experience of is something that is not telly doesn't touch it. It's very telly for me has been very strange in that you might not have met someone you're doing a scene with them that's got to be quite intimate. Mm. And you're trying to get to those moments very quickly and it feels quite false and 
there's cameras, there's a whole crew around you and it's, it can be quite pressured and you are hanging about for maybe a few hours before you actually try to keep that energy up yeah. and I'm an actual energy ball but even I start to go oh my god I'm really struggling the magic is going the magic is going it's magic I love it and the last question as you know that was a terrible drum roll So, I love the Scots language. I'll say that mm-hmm. first of all. I love many words. I've got many. I don't have a favourite, but I'm yeah. going to give you a word. Yeah, that's fine. Favourite today. Yeah, because I love, I love Gallus. I've been called Glaikit. I love Bra. Yeah. I love our language. I love it. Sonsi. Oh, um, that's a great one. Yeah. I mean, there's millions of these, but my favourite word is because it's also a state of being mm-hmm. with someone, and it's Curie. Oh. Yeah. I love a curry, and and, I, and it, the word itself, you know, images drift into my head, and it, I love it. It's a great word, and even the softness of it. I mean, I, I actually um, put it in every script, every wedding script. Do curry, you? curry sits there. I mean, that state of comfort, either with somebody or not, perhaps, or with a dog or whatever, an animal, yeah. um, not even a romantic partner, just a pal. Yeah, just curing in. Um, it's, yeah, the images that float through my head now are, they, they bring me a lot of peace and quiet, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's a great word. It's a great word, Curie. You've given this your all, and yeah. I can't thank you. No, for no that. thank you for the space and time. And I would urge anybody out there that's not done this, do it. <laughs> See if Lisa gets in touch with you, because you got in touch with me years ago about this, yeah. and I didn't do it. And then I was like, oh, now's the time. It, it's it's got to be right. It's a great the thing. Person, Jimmy, but it's nice to hear that it is cathartic, and you have enjoyed it. it. Is. That's. We've won. We've won. Yeah, you've you know, won a watch. As far as anybody listens to this, yeah. they will. But, it, you know, it's just nice that you're for the nice time. Hamden is listening to this. Well, there you go. And I love Hamden. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> fucking delighted. <laughs> I don't want to bust out the song. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.